Hi, and welcome back, everyone. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Junity Wealth Management. And thanks for joining us here for our weekly Mike on Money, talking about everything in the markets. And today we're going to talk about stagflation and reflation, uh, just kind of what's going on with the whole inflationary market. We touched on it uh, a bit last week. We'll take a bit deeper dive into what that means for the portfolios and what it means for the uh, the general economy for the uh, for the foreseeable future anyway uh, but before we get started with all that of course uh, as always keep in mind everything we talk about here is for educational purposes only uh, always seek the advice of a professional do your own due diligence before applying any strategies you see here or anywhere to uh, to your personal portfolios to make sure that they're appropriate for you if you have any questions about your specific situation as always Come visit us at mikeonmoney.com. You can find our other educational material there, or visit or videos. Uh, you can give us a call or contact information's there, or even book an appointment directly with us. If you're watching live today, uh, of course, you can always put uh, click in there, put in your your, your questions, and we'll try to get to them before the end of today's show. Uh, if we can't, we will always follow up with you uh, on any questions you might have. Of course, if you're watching the recorded version on YouTube or the podcast, uh, by all means, just go to, as I mentioned before, go to mikeonmoney.com. You can send in your questions there or contact us. We're happy to help you out. So before we jump in, we always talk a little bit about the, um, the COVID-19 update. Obviously, it's ongoing. Uh, yesterday, the, you know, the White House um, you know, has continued to restrict traveling for Canada uh, for another month. Uh, so uh, you can still fly down there, of course, with your appropriate testing and, and vaccinations. Uh, but the border, the drive, uh, the driving over the border is still closed for Canadians uh, headed south. Uh, we don't know when that's going to change. Uh, but more and more, the world is starting to uh, open up a bit with the vaccinations. Of course, every country has their own restrictions. So double check if you're thinking of traveling. The latest number is that Canadians are traveling, especially to the Sun destinations. So uh, double check uh, what the requirements are for the country that you're going to. Uh, I know I've had this long commitment to go to Mexico uh, before the end of the year, and uh, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. You know, continuing to watch those, uh, watch those requirements and also watch the numbers uh, to see how things are, uh, how things are progression, uh, progressing. Um, you know, good news for Canadians, uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, the EU Commission has, uh, has kind of changed their view on AstraZeneca. Uh, originally, they were looking at um, not allowing AstraZeneca, uh, those who have the AstraZeneca vaccine, to qualify as vaccination. Vaccinated in the EU, uh, the UK, of course, had approved it, but not the EU Commission, uh, because AstraZeneca was developed in a few different areas and the Canadians was not, or the Canadian vaccine was not uh, developed or produced rather in the UK. Uh, so uh, AstraZeneca, people who had the double AstraZeneca shots were not approved uh, to travel to the EU. Uh, so good news on that front, especially for me who has the double AstraZeneca that uh, the EU is open. The US still hasn't recognized it, but uh, I'm in no hurry to go there these days. So at least the EU is open, so maybe 2022 I can get over there. Uh, one thing on that on that note, uh, as far as I've seen, uh, no nowhere outside of Canada has 
really approved the mixed shots yet. So I know Canada was one of the, uh, the first, and I think one of the very few uh, who approved AstraZeneca mixed with uh, an mRNA vaccine like Pfizer or Moderna. Um, and uh, there's still a lot of testing happening on that to, uh, to see if other countries are going to accept that as uh, considered, uh, considered fully vaccinated. So again, if you're thinking of traveling, just look into what the requirements of the area you're going to and make sure you double check. Uh, and of course, here in BC, as of Monday, 86% of those aged 12 and older uh, have received their first dose of vaccine and 79% their second dose. So uh, continuing on uh, to set a pretty good trend for Canada and the world as far as the percentage of vaccinated uh, within the province. So let's talk about the economy and what's going on. Uh, before we jump into that, last week, of course, we talked about the inflation numbers that we were uh, expecting. Uh, and we did see them. And of course, there was a big jump in it. And again, that last week, we talked a lot about that transitory inflation uh, numbers being, you know, we we're expecting a, a big number, we're expecting it to to level off as the supply chain kind of uh, catches up with demand out there. Uh, so not an overly, not a big concern, uh, as far as our outlook on the markets go. But uh, just to review that we talked to, we expected that number to be higher. Uh, last week, and it certainly was. This week, we're looking at the housing starts to come out for August. Uh, we saw I saw some early numbers uh, starting to come out. They are higher, which is pretty much the, the expectation we're looking for. Uh, this morning, we saw stock futures, and certainly the markets rise higher after a difficult day in the markets yesterday. Most of that yesterday was pretty much just based on the Chinese property sector, uh, kind of fueling this global sell-off on stocks and commodities. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more, uh, basically a large real estate firm kind of uh, collapse in the uh, Evergrande group, uh, you know, going into default, uh, kind of being compared to the Lehman's Brothers of 2008, although not really. Uh, Lehman's Brothers was a, kind of a precursor to a bigger financial crisis, not just in the US, but globally. Uh, or the U.S. started, which brought the globe down because of the intertwined financing uh, that we saw uh, through the uh, through the housing boom uh, in the United States. This is uh, very different, uh, much more uh, contained to China. Uh, obviously, not good for their markets over there, or you know, there's still some big concerns over with China. But that being said, um, not as big a concern uh, over here. So we did see. Kind of that hangover yesterday, but today things looking a bit better with a, a, a rebound in the markets. Uh, we also saw Hong Kong flagship uh, index, you know, fall about 1.3%, but then bounce back about half that kind of the right away the next day. Um, uh, just coming off again, you know, that initial uh, shock of uh, what happened with uh, Evergrande uh, Group in China. Uh, the Fed officials uh, are set to gather to discuss monetary policy. Um, you know, it's really going to be scrutinized. So this goes back to last week. We talked a lot about kind of where interest rates are going to go, but also when are they going to go? And obviously, the move that everyone's looking at for them to go up. So is it going to happen in early 2022 or 2023 or later? Uh, the Fed officials are getting together to have a detailed discussion about their plan, about the tightening, uh, you know, the course of action they're going to take towards tightening, uh, and when they think that they have to start doing that. And 
there is that back and forth right now. Uh, as I mentioned last week, the general consensus of the market is early 22. And that was my general consensus earlier this year, well ahead of the market. Um, but now I actually think this, 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 this early inflation of supply chain inflation uh, is actually taking longer to work its way through than originally thought. So I do think that flattening of inflation is going to allow interest rates to stay lower a little bit longer. So uh, we'll keep a very close eye on that. Uh, obviously, a high-stake Christmas is looming here. Uh, the supply chain has affected everything, as we've talked about. Surge in toy demand has already started uh, out there as supply chain is snarling up. There's, uh, there's big shortages. Uh, I'm kind of happy to be out of that stage, you know, having two kids off at university. We've moved away from the certainly the, the toy stage. My children, all they tend to ask for these days is cash. So, uh, so I'm glad I'm not in this, but uh, obviously there's a big demand around kind of the popular toys, scooters, video games, uh, all trying to get them delivered for Christmas. So if you haven't started your Christmas shopping, or if you're one of those people like me, who, you know, want more of a last minute shopper, uh, do expect there to be a lot of shortages, probably of everything. I don't think this is gonna be uh, focused on toys. Um, obviously that's a big area because uh, disappointment for kids is the worst. But um, I would definitely get out there or start getting your orders in sooner than later if there's one of those must-have presents that you're looking for for Christmas because that supply chain problem is still out there and uh, it's not going to improve definitely before the end of this year. Uh, BP is making a, a gamble, a kind of a, a very fast transition moving to more renewable uh, resources, renewable energies. Uh, this is uh, not a surprise. There was a big battle in, with the board of directors earlier this year with BP, kind of on the approach to taste uh, that they're taking here. Um, they're just moving on more lucrative projects where they're seeing uh, more cash flow coming in or more financing flow coming in uh, that allows them to invest in some of those renewable technologies and away from the uh, fossil fuels which has been their mainstay for years. A higher taxes are coming for the markets, uh, but that should be a good thing. Uh, you know, we, we've seen in the US, we talked a lot about last week, and, and of course, if you're following any of the news in the US, the, uh, the Biden government down there is certainly moving to tax the wealthier uh, people, uh, but also the corporations, uh, undoing some of the Trump era tax cuts for corporations, uh, move, move in more taxes in for the ultra wealthy for sure. And a lot of talks around the estate tax. So that's something we'll have to watch, especially for those people in Canada who are considered U.S. persons. So really keep an eye on this if you're considered a U.S. person. So obviously a U.S. person is a, uh, a U.S. citizen who's living here in Canada. Doesn't matter how long you've lived here. I've got, uh, I've had uh, clients who, uh, you know, moved here when they were two years old, never worked in the U.S., never had anything to do with the U.S. other than they, they retained their U.S. citizenship, are still caught up in this, especially when we're talking about estate taxation, because as a U.S. person, you can get caught up into that. A uh, U.S. person can also be someone who earns money in the U.S., so if you have a job or if you have a rental property in the U.S., you can be considered a U.S. person. And if you own property in the U.S., certainly your state can get caught up in that, having U.S. resident uh, uh, properties 
uh, you can kind of get trapped into the US person category. So definitely we'll have to keep an eye on that. That's a bigger one for Canadians. Uh, but as far as the taxation, I think the whole world is more than happy uh, to see uh, the US uh, start to pay their, I guess, fair share would be a way to put it of, of global taxes, uh, you know, given it's one of the wealthiest countries in the world but has one of the lowest tax rates in the world as well. Um, also, we're out there seeing the Fed is to reveal uh, new projections uh, for investors as far as the uh, rate lift off and the timing, as I talked about. You know, this is their big meeting. Uh, all eyes are going to be on this Wednesday. Uh, they're having the policy meeting. Uh, and it's not going to be a straight answer. We never get a straight answer. A lot of it's going to be about the language, uh, kind of, you know, whether it's concern language or whether they're in a comfortable spot as far as inflation goes. So uh, we're, we'll take a very close look at that. And of course, we'll talk about it more next week. Uh, home builders confidence is edging up for September. As I mentioned, the housing starts did increase a little bit or the early numbers are looking like they're increasing. Um, and this was mostly elevated by, you know, some of those costs that we, we've seen kind of inflate would be in a massive one, uh, starting to ease a little bit, uh, which is uh, great for everybody who wants to do home renovations or home improvements or new builds. Uh, it was getting really crazy here through the summer uh, and in the U.S., of course, a lot of the software, especially coming from Canada, uh, those are starting to ease off. They're still not at uh, kind of pre-pandemic numbers, but they're starting to ease off a little bit, which is, uh, which is good to see. Uh, global uh, active equity funds see uh, inflows, uh, the highest inflows uh, in about seven years. So this is also kind of going to that theme we talked about last week is, you know, in this this inflationary, this middle ground of inflation, where are we putting our money? Where are the, uh, the, the key areas to have the portfolios positioned? Uh, and we talked about last week, decreasing a little bit of US, again, not getting out of the US, but decreasing a bit of the US and focus, focusing more on that global market, uh, looking more at the EU to, to, to start show uh, some higher growth numbers, even the UK, although still struggling a little bit after Brexit. Uh, but, uh, you know, higher growth likely in the, uh, the coming six months than, than necessarily the U.S. general market. There's still going to be sectors and pockets in the U.S. that will excel, but uh, overall, generally, we're looking at the global markets over the uh, over U.S. Uh, not, to, uh, not to stop the IPO train even uh, through this inflationary market. We have seen a big slowdown from the first half of the year, uh, but we continue to see names coming out there. Restaurant software provider Toast is out seeking $18 billion valuation on their IPO, uh, which is a, you know, a bold number to go after. Um, you know, it's obviously part of this record boom in the capital markets for this year. Uh, but given you know, the number of restaurants that have closed their doors uh, or have struggled through the pandemic, uh, you know, as far as their, their, their sales numbers, certainly could improve going forward, but it's a pretty generous valuation. So let's take a look at the U.S. specifically. As I mentioned, they've got their two-day policy meeting coming up here Wednesday. We'll look at that. U.S. Commerce Department is scheduled to report the country's current account deficit. So this is the trade deficit. Uh, we're looking for it to narrow a little bit. It's been the trend uh, mostly around the, uh, the housing start data. Uh, we'll drive part of that. So no big surprise coming there. Uh, we're also seeing the FDA in the U.S. Uh, looking to approve or come up with a decision on Insight Corpse, it's a, a new treatment for eczema. 
So uh, this is a bit of a breakthrough for treating, especially with adolescents uh, and also uh, adults uh, to help them fight that common, which can be fairly uncomfortable uh, and not really a great treatment out there as to date. Uh, Pfizer and Bio, uh, BioNTech, uh, sorry, their data has been completed uh, to protect kids. So they're looking for approval for age five to 11. Uh, obviously, they would have preferred to have this in the summer uh, if they could have got their, their tests and uh, testing out and gone for approval uh, earlier before school started. Uh, but as it is, I think uh, most parents, uh, <laughs> you know, the vaccine world is quite divided. So we'll see how things go. But they're, they're now looking for approval for ages 5 to 11 to protect, protect that group from COVID, uh, which, you know, from a timing perspective, it can't be better because that's where we're seeing... Uh, big spike in the infection rate. Obviously their immune system are, are stronger than, than, than us older people. Uh, but at the same time, it's also very sad when they, you know, they get long COVID or severe and, and uh, while the mortality rate might be uh, lower for them, um, obviously it's very sad to see children uh, be negatively affected in any way uh, by, this, uh, by this virus. Uh, Didi co-founder Liu. So Didi, if you're not familiar, is a um, kind of the uh, the ride hailing or Uber uh, in China. Um, they've recently filed uh, for listing on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, which is putting them under uh, more scrutiny. So their co-founder uh, and president has decided to uh, to step down, uh, just under that uh, closer scrutiny. Not scrutiny, not a lot more information around that, but. Uh, not yet anyway, I'm sure we'll hear more as, as it rolls out. Um, but uh, that's, that's been the big challenge between the US and China uh, in either country listing on the other exchange or trying to get investors from the, uh, from the other side. Uh, obviously a lot more scrutiny coming from those two countries around any business uh, cross-border. States are rallying around a proposed law to rein in big tech. So we've talked about this in the past, the US, uh, State attorneys are kind of rallying around this um, antitrust laws for big tech companies like Facebook and Alphabet Google. Uh, this, I mean, it's definitely in some cases are warranted. Obviously, the concern here is the big tech companies are so large, anytime that there's any real competition, they can just gobble them up or force them out. Uh, so they're trying to put antitrust laws in there to protect from that. We've seen this in the past when big tech companies, uh, especially in the tech industry, um, have, uh, have gotten very large. Uh, Microsoft in the past has been forced to sell off, uh, you know, pieces of the firm to be less kind of um, integrated uh, to their clients. Uh, you know, where you know, the PC manufacturing used to come with Explore, which is now Edge, you know, their web browser kind of built in. They were forced to separate that. They sold off their, uh, their PC manufacturing um, division. Uh, you know, to, uh, to Lenovo, uh, which Lenovo then got sold off again. Anyway, they got broken back up. And then, of course, over time, Microsoft started buying other companies and kind of becoming this, this big conglomerate again uh, with everything uh, kind of in-house. And, and we're seeing that even on bigger scales with Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple, uh, Microsoft. So this antitrust law, uh, which the, the feds started talking about, and now all the states are getting around, is to really force more competition into those markets. We'll probably see some 
breakups of some of these uh, larger companies selling off different portions or different subsidiaries of theirs, um, you know, and, and then over time, very likely them buying up new subsidiaries and becoming big again. It's kind of a cycle we go through. Uh, Twitter is seeking to settle a 2016 class action lawsuit for 800 million. This has 800 million. This had to do with uh, their shareholder, uh, you know, rollout, their IPO, uh, you know, where they're being accused of uh, deceiving investors kind of about how often people use the Twitter platform. Uh, and there's a class action lawsuit there for about 800 million. Uh, likely this settlement will go through and they'll put it behind them. Uh, and as most class action lawsuits, uh, very, very little money will get to the shareholders. Most of it will go to lawyers. Uh, and they'll move on. Uh, CVS is looking to hire 25,000 uh, new people ahead of the flu season. Uh, obviously, there's a job shortage everywhere in, uh, in the world um, trying to get qualified people. So they're trying to get uh, ahead of the flu season and trying to hire 25,000 people across the country uh, to uh, be able to administer uh, the flu shots. Remember those? Remember when we used to get flu shots once a year? Well, uh, this year, I guess we're expecting to have them again. So they're looking to hire 25,000 people just to get, uh, uh, help people get the flu shots, get caught up on that. Uh, so you might be double vaxxed for COVID, but don't forget to go get your flu shots or any other vaccines that, uh, that you're due for, uh, because I think through the last year and a half, two years, we've completely forgot about those. Um, and uh, of course, last year's flu season was very limited due to the mask wearing. Uh, but as we come slowly come out of that, uh, uh, we're probably going to see that resurgence of, of the flu season again. So especially if you're a high risk, but even if you're not, the same same principles a, a, a apply. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, I want to say 10 years ago, five years ago, time's lost all meeting these days for me. But uh, uh, I remember I did, didn't used to get the flu shot because I've never actually, knock on wood, I've never actually had the flu. So, um, so I wasn't getting the shot, but then someone pointed out to me, well, I could just be a carrier and giving it to people who are susceptible to the flu or at risk of the flu. So now I try to get my flu shot every year, um, except for last year. Uh, but those of you out there, you know, definitely go out and uh, catch up on that this year. Cause I think uh, all predictions are, it's gonna be a real flu season this year. Coming up in Canada, we have the new, uh, Canada's going to release the new home prices for August. Um, we're likely to see that increase a little bit over July uh, and uh, June, uh, as we've seen a bit of increase. Not a ton, though. It seems to be leveling off a little bit here in Canada, uh, which is probably good news for a lot of people. We've actually seen some pockets start to decrease a little bit, certainly uh, condos in downtown Vancouver uh, and a little bit in Toronto. And uh, we don't have a lot of data around that yet. Uh, but I suspect, I, I, I suspect that that is being driven by the work at home uh, movement. So less and less people, especially in the younger group, uh, buying or being forced to rent uh, in the more dense downtown areas and can buy, uh, you know, we've seen, I've seen even through my own contacts, I've seen a lot of younger people uh, buying their first homes in Squamish or Chilliwack or areas that they consider more close to their lifestyle, you know, whether it be outdoors or they just want a yard uh, versus buying the, the downtown condo, uh, mainly because the money uh, carries more weight there. 
uh, and they don't have to be in the office 100% of the time anymore. So uh, that might be driving a little bit of that pocket. But we're looking to see more data, hopefully come out here shortly uh, for August as well, just to give us a bit more insight into what that's going to look like. Uh, Canadian home prices, uh, you know, climb, as I mentioned, but at a slower pace. Uh, and of course, we had an election yesterday. You might not have realized it. Uh, if you did get out on the vote, um, happy to say nothing much changed. So, well, happy to say. Not happy to say that there was six, $600 million spent on an election. I think that's the, uh, the biggest, um, biggest concern people had about this whole thing. Uh, and pretty much it's status quo with the Liberals having the minority uh, government. Uh, I think, well, obviously the Liberals were hoping to, uh, you know, grab a majority government. I think in the end, they're pretty happy to maintain the minority because at the end there, or as it built up to yesterday, uh, there was a lot of concern on the, on the, for the Liberal side that the Conservatives uh, might steal it from them. Um, obviously that didn't happen, but uh, anyway, status quo for Canada. Uh, we didn't cover too much about the election last week, um, mainly because Canadian elections don't have huge impacts on the markets, I'm sorry to say. Uh, we, we just don't have that much sway in the global uh, global scene, and especially between the two major parties that we have here, there's, there's, there's some fiscal differences, but not a ton when it comes to kind of our, our position in the global, uh, the global marketplace. So as it is, everything stays the same and we move on. Uh, as far as the dollar, we saw it edge a little bit lower here today after a bit of a, a bump up yesterday. I remember markets go down, US dollar goes up, markets uh, go up, US dollar goes down. So, I, you know, again, uh, we're looking for steady markets, so probably a trend down on, on the US dollar uh, as things move along. On the commodity front, oil continues to hold strong. It broke through $72 a barrel last week, uh, came back down, uh, still above 71, I think around 71.60, I think last I looked. Uh, you know, uh, so producers are, are looking to increase supply as demand continues to increase with the re global reopening. Gold ticked a bit higher, obviously, uh, a, a bit on the higher inflation numbers, uh, but also on the weaker US dollar still continue. And copper bounced back a little bit. Remember last week it dropped a, a, dropped a, a tiny bit uh, back up that 1.5%. Uh, you know, again, still holding in strong as far as uh, copper valuations go. So let's talk about uh, uh, reflation and stagflation. So uh, stagflation, you know, just as as, as way of, of definition, uh, reflation is high, you know, rising inflation rates or recovering where we were before after uh, seeing a deflation or stagflationary period. Stagflation is simply uh, inflation going up and down. So as I mentioned last week, we're pretty much in this transitory stagflation where inflation is going to go up and then come down a bit. Uh, and that's mostly, as I said, driven by the reopening demand and that supply chain uh, squeeze. So we're definitely in that period. But what we're looking at now is that reflation period when we start to see the interest rates start to, to rise again, uh, fiscal policy start to tighten, uh, and how much can the economy absorb of higher interest rates before it starts to really slow it down? So if, if the continued theme of the reopening trade, so basically the economy is gonna to continue to open as, uh, or continue to grow as we reopen here, uh, we should be able to absorb more, more interest rates or higher interest rates to slow that inflation down 
because we're still quite a bit lower to pre-pandemic levels. And pre-pandemic, we were in a growth market. So we should be able to get back to those numbers again. Remember, mortgages were almost 4% uh, back then, and now there's around 2%. So you know, there's still a bit of ways to go, assuming we continue to see that reopening growth. So we'll keep a close eye on that. Uh, how will things per perform? And this goes to our theme for this whole year, large cap liquid companies uh, with quality balance sheets uh, is what we're looking at. Small cap has seen a pretty good start to the year. Uh, as again, you should always you know, be diversified in both, um, but we should see the small cap as a general sector. Though again, that's not all names, but small cap. Slow on a bit as we see that reflation start to become a theme. The Eurozone growth and inflation are both set up for acceleration in the back half of 2021, and that's a global theme. Uh, short China, so uh, this has nothing to do uh, with Evergrande's uh, bankruptcy. Uh, this has to do with just the overall lower growth rates that they're seeing, um, and uh, so we're not we're not big on exposures uh, to the to the Chinese market right now. Um, so obviously underweight in that area. And industrials, uh, I've mentioned before, industrials in a reflation market uh, signal a bullish trend. Definitely something cool you want to have in your portfolios and slightly overweight. Energy, again, it's a, you know, given primacy that within inflationary markets, energy tends to go up. It's, it's, it's priced to the US dollar, so inflation uh, helps it. A high quality fixed income only, really staying away from the high yield. Inflation means higher cost of borrowing for smaller companies. So those high yield, lower grade bonds, uh, you know, become a concern uh, in the portfolios. So in our portfolios, in the fixed income side, we definitely take a tactical approach. Uh, stagflation is great for tactical approach. And if you've looked at our tactical position in there, it's performed almost uh, 9%, I think, uh, a year to date, uh, you know, and for a fixed income position, that's great. Uh, and that stagflation can, you know, continue to perform well for uh, tactical approach. Uh, and then as we go into reflation, uh, again, we'll protect away from some of those high yields. Uh, and also, you know, U.S. short-term dollar, we are looking for it to devalue a little bit um, during that stagflation and reflation. So, uh, you know, keep that in, eye, in mind and any U.S. holdings are going to affect your portfolio uh, if, you, if you paid with U.S. currency. So that's all we have for this week. It's a nice, quick summary for you guys, what's going on out there. Uh, remember, next week we will be back. Uh, I'm going to try to get out a deep dive video later this week as well. Always uh, join us at mikeonmoney.com if you have any questions. Uh, and you can click through, to, click through to our YouTube page if you miss any of our live videos. Or you can also click through to you know, your preferred uh, podcast providers, uh, Spotify or Apple, iTunes. Um, and, uh, and subscribe so that you get uh, notifications every time we put out a video. With that, if you have any questions uh, that you want us to cover on these, by all means, let us know. Give us any feedback. Can't wait to talk to you guys again soon. Thanks very much. Take care.